Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Martinis. This is Danielle. And unfortunately, Adam is not here today. Um, he will be back next week and we will be podcasting all summer together. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. We have some really fun episode plans together. But right now he is crazy at work. And uh, just while graduations are going on and everything, he has to be there all the time. So I am taking care of the podcasting. Um, and I know you guys miss him. I miss him too. But we do have an awesome episode for you today. It's an episode that I have really uh, been wanting to do. About a year ago, we did an episode about um, social justice and parenting. And um, I, I got to ask a bunch of questions that I wanted to, but I felt like there was a lot I still didn't get to ask. And you guys have since given me so many questions also to ask um, an expert. And so today I have Dr. Tracy Baxley on. She's an author, speaker, belonging advocate, coach, consultant, and she's creating space for belonging at home while raising children who create belonging in the world, which I absolutely love that. And I think that that's so many of us, that's our ultimate goal, right, is to raise kids who create space and are inclusive and are loving no matter, you know, all of our differences and who bring people together. And that's just to me the ultimate goal. So I, I ask her so much stuff. First of all, she is in an interracial marriage. We talk a lot about that. We talk about raising mixed race kids and uh, how that has affected her parenting and um, how she's had to prepare her kids to go out into the world differently than so many of us do. Um, and I ask her about privilege. I ask her uh, about, you know, moving forward. What can we do? What are the smallest changes we can make as parents that will make the biggest impact and raise impact in raising kids who are socially aware and allies and advocates. Um, so I really hope you enjoy this episode. It's really awesome. If you enjoy it, um, definitely please go and rate and review. Don't forget to go purchase our date night ebook and also go and follow Tracy Baxley, Dr. Baxley, uh, on Instagram at Social Justice Parenting. She also has a book coming out in October. So as soon as that comes out, we will link to it and everything and hopefully have her back on. So enjoy. Well, hi, Tracy. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Danielle. It was like, I can't, it was like two moms <laughs> trying to 
<laughs> it's like one of those memes where you talk about making plans and then you end up canceling like 17 times and then finally so true yeah it was <laughs> definitely a lot of back and forth but you have five kids I have three ki- right you have five I have, five, I have yes. three kids plus life and you know so we finally made it happen thank you so much yeah but it, you know what it was great because we got to know each other via texting. That's true. That's true. Yes. Uh, Yeah. I was so excited to have you on. I'm well, we're a marriage podcast, marriage relationships, but we talk about everything and parenting and um, our community knows that um, we're pretty active in social as social like activism and everything. And it's it's been something that's really really important to my husband and me, to Adam and me, to raise kids who are, um, you know, just who I I like to call it who can look past their own shadow, who know that there's more going out in the world and and going on that they need to be involved in that doesn't just involve them, um, and obviously that's way more complicated than I make it sound. And back in June, there was this whole you know, rising, social rising, where all the all these parents and everything became very, very aware of everything going on and Black Lives Matter and all the anti-racist stuff. And then I think, as with anything, there's sort of this lull. Um, so I thought it was important to have you on, you know, now because I, I want this is something I want to keep going. I want to keep the conversation going, not just, you know, when it's uh, Black History Month or not just when there's, <clears throat> you know, God forbid, another tragedy but mm-hmm. always um but can you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and how you became so passionate about anti-racism and activism yeah i am tracy baxley and like you said danielle my first job is being a mother of five and so everything else that i do kind of radiates from that you know trying to create a world where they feel safe and that they are um, in a position to support other people So um, I am an educator. I started out in elementary, um, as an elementary school teacher. And now I am a a professor at uh, Florida Atlantic University, which is our local um, university here. And everything that I teach there is about diversity and inclusion. And um, I I really wanna say it started really in my childhood. You know, I see different places and different spaces where I kind of occupied that really surrounded this idea of creating space where everybody felt like they belonged as I was trying to find my own space. <clears throat> and then through the years where I taught, um, I, was all, I always gravitated toward those kids who didn't have somebody or that I needed to support in finding space where they could fit in. And um, I think when I started my consulting and coaching company, it really was about diversity and inclusion um, with corporations and businesses. And I just kept thinking, you know, where it really starts, where it really matters the most is really in our homes. And um, I know I wanted to create spaces for my own children. And with my background, um, I wanted to use that also to help other parents to do the same thing. So that's kind of been a sweet spot for me lately, really working with parents um, on anti-racist parenting, on how to show up for our kids in a way that's really intentional and um, impactful and not being afraid to um, not, 
there's a lot of fear around protecting our kids and keeping them safe, but in doing so, we really are cutting them off from really growing and being um, like leaning into their own curiosities and their own need for, uh, I would say, fairness and just in the world. You know, that's really where kids want to be. And we sometimes use our own fears to kind of guard them a little bit and, and our attempt to keep them safe. And so I like working with families with unpacking some of that and um, so that we're all raising our kids to see each other and to support each other. And I think it's going to take all of us to do that. Did you grow up in like a, in, an, in a home that was very active and with social issues? Is that something that like you were raised with or were you raised in an area that was more inclusive or did you have some experiences that sort of made you more interested? I think growing up when I was a little girl, like early on through like third grade, I lived in a very tight knit all black community. And it was just like, everybody could mother you, you know, no matter what street you were on, if you did something that you shouldn't have done, that mom could, could discipline you. Um, and it was just, everybody knew each other and it was everything, everything was pretty um, like a village, a family. And then in, in the summer between third and fourth grade, my family moved to a, to Boca Raton where we were the only black family in our neighborhood for years. And that was like kind of a shock, you know, to what all I, what I knew. And, um, and my dad also was very open about his inability to 100% trust white people because he grew up in Jim Crow era. And it was so mind boggling to my little nine-year-old head of trying to figure out who to, who to trust, but being in this new environment where I wanted to feel like I belonged somewhere, but not quite um, could find that space. And so I think that's kind of where everything started. And then in high school, I belonged to every group and no group. You know, I was one of those ones that really could be a chameleon and fit into a bunch of different groups. I, I did, wasn't tied to one group. And so I think all of that, not knowing then, but it all tied to uh, this passion I have about belonging now. Um, and my family wasn't very active um, in racial issues or social justice, but it was talked about in our house about the importance of being open, loving everybody, treating everybody um, well. Um, and obviously, you know, we talked a lot about what it means to be black um, in society. What, you know, my parents always uh, talked about, you know, being better than, working harder than in order to be seen and heard. So that kind of idea was always ingrained in me. Um, and I think all of that spills over to kind of what I do now. Mm -hmm. You talk openly about the fact that you're in an interracial marriage and you have five biracial kids. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I know a lot of our community, uh, you know, we talk openly with people all the time who are in similar situations. And um, so any anything you can tell us that how that influences everything. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, you know, my husband and I have been together for almost 25 years with dating and marriage. And we actually met in fourth grade 
when I moved to Boca, we were um, classmates pretty much throughout middle school, elementary, middle, and high school. Never dated, but ran the same circles. We didn't start dating until after we graduated from college and moved back to Boca. Um, but it was rough in the beginning, you know, as we were dating, you know, you, know, you think back 25 years ago, um, you know, my husband was called a nigger lover um, by strangers, you know, with us walking down the street. Um, I've been told that I am bailing out on black men or that I couldn't find a good black man. Um, so we've gone through those things. Um, but, you know, we weren't looking for love when we fell in love. We were just um, friends who couldn't reconnect it and um, we fell in love. And so we've worked through those things of what society has put on us. And we are very proactive in making sure our children know who they are. Um, and I, I always say that my kids have learned about being black and being white and we let them self-identify in the house, you know, whether they go by biracial, mixed, uh, black, whatever that is. But as a black mother, I intentionally teach my kids what it's like to live in black skin in the world. And so um, they're able, <clears throat> excuse me, to self-identify at home, but they go into the world knowing that they're black and the challenges that that brings, the joy that that brings, but that's how the world will see them. So, you know, each kid is different um, and they navigate in the world very differently, my kids, but I am very intentional about um, making sure they have what they need um, when they go out into the world. I think for so many of us, we're so excited about the summer for so many reasons, especially after having been quarantined for so long and having to not see everybody. It's just time that we're ready to all come together. And I know so many of us are having barbecues and celebrations, and it's finally time for us to come together and really have an awesome time. My other favorite thing about summer is grilling because Adam loves to grill. And when he grills, I don't have to worry about dinner. And he's actually a really good griller. Don't tell him to his face. But this Father's Day, what better way to celebrate summer and to celebrate Father's Day and all of the fun barbecues and everything that we have coming up than to get the dad in your life an awesome crowd cow Father's Day package. They have such fun packages like the Grill Master, Hi Hungry, I'm Dad, and everything has meats and fishes, the freshest you can find anywhere. You get meat and seafood that tastes better and is higher quality than the grocery store while supporting farmers that are doing it the right way. We absolutely love the beet we received, and I can taste the difference. I wasn't sure because I'm so used to buying grocery store meat. I just had no idea what the difference was going to be. But when the meat came, not only could you tell the difference, you can actually taste the difference. It is so obvious. All of their meat has no growth hormones or unnecessary antibiotics. You can buy meat that is grass-fed, pasture-raised, or wild-caught. Get access to cuts that aren't available even in a well-stocked grocery store. Grass-fed beef, wild-caught seafood, pasture-raised pork, and steakhouse cuts. And every box is recyclable and compostable. And every order is 100% carbon neutral from the field to your doorstep. You can go to crowdcow.com slash martinis and get $25 off your first order. Use code marriageandmartinis25. That's 
crowdcow.com slash marriage and martinis, marriage and martinis 25 for $25 off. Go and get your Father's Day gifts today. Shipping for Father's Day cutoff is June 16th. So go there right now and get it done. The dads in your life are going to love it. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that looks like? Because we hear a lot of times that that there is a whole uh, set of, you know, a whole education that black kids need to know that as as white people, we don't even think about. Um, and so can you, because we always hear about that, but then you, you know, you don't break it down and think about the actual lessons that you're having to give them. So can you give us a little piece of that so we can better understand what that really means? Yeah, yeah. So I, I know that often when people talk about the talk that black parents have with their kids, it's always focused on negative things. But I, I also want to, and I'll get into that in a second, but I want to reiterate that when we have the talk with our kids, it's also talking about the joys of being black, um, the resiliency of the people whose shoulders we stand on, like what our ancestors went through and what that means for us to be able to hold the torch and have all these privileges that we do have. Um, and, you know, the history, the rich history that we have and the, the tapestry that we have brought to this country is something to be proud of. So that's part of the talk too, that doesn't make the news very much. Um, but we also have to have the talks of how you show up in spaces, you know, what, like my kids after the Trayvon Martin um, thing, we don't, my kids don't wear hoodies. They're not allowed to wear hoodies outside. Um, we're very careful about them dressing a certain way when they leave the house so that there are no um, stereotypes that are put on them when, when they're gone, especially my black boys. Um, the other thing we talk about is how you show up when you are faced with law enforcement, where your hands go on the wheel, um, how you respond, how you answer, what you don't do, no matter what they say, you say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And then you let us fight that fight if something went wrong when you get home, because the idea is we want you to come back alive. We want you to come back safe. Um, so we talk about what you wear, how you speak to people, um, how you interact. I know my son, uh, my oldest son has a lot of friends um, and he's into theater. And one uh, last summer, he went away with his friends to make a movie. And the father that was taking them, his daughter and my son are really good friends. And um, he, they were driving, had to stay in a hotel on the way up. And he wanted them to stay. He was like, oh no, he can stay in the room with them. And I said, he can't. I appreciate that, but as a black male, I'm not comfortable with him staying with, with these white females because if something happens, um, you may not blame him, but somebody else who may get involved may. And so those are the kinds of things that um, are always on our minds as black parents, you know, trying to think ahead, um, trying to plan um, in ways that we keep our kids from being in situations that may hurt them in the long run. So it's always a constant chess game. Wow, thank you for sharing that because I, I get, you know, I, I, it's something that I think about 
you think about sort of as an outside perspective looking in, but, uh, you know, to think about that as a mom is, uh, it's heavy. It's a lot. It is. And it's exhausting sometimes. And I feel, sometimes I feel badly for my kids because they have to carry that too, right? I'm, I'm always telling them about what they need to think about um, or what would you do in this situation? So it, it gives it, 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 there's an extra weight that they have to carry because they always have to be thinking ahead as well. Right. Um, and my husband, who's white, of course, always, he said in the past, not always say, I shouldn't say that, he said in the past, um, why, do you, why do you always have to make it about race, you know? And I say to him that because he's not walked in my shoes as a black person in this country, this is the one place where I have to take the lead. Um, I have to raise my children so that they're safe and they feel comfortable in their skin um, and they find this sense of belonging um, and who they are and that is being black. And um, we've had to wrestle with that as a couple um, in the early parts of our marriage because I was very proactive with my kids very early on um, about what that looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and now, you know, we're, we're in a good place now, but the first few years of, of parenting, we had to go back and forth about why that was important to me as a black woman, as a black mother to, my, to our children. Right. And the first few years of parenting for any couple is so hard. So to even stack that on top of it is is just an added layer of contention and stress. And it is. I mean, yes. I know what it is and just so, to be new parents. Yeah. And what I would say to couples who have who are are different race, um, if you haven't had kids yet or you're thinking about having children, um, that those are the conversations you need to have now mm -hmm. about how we how are we going to raise this child in a world that is racialized? What does that look right. like for us so that we're on the same page right away? Right. Yeah. And I'm so glad that that kind of brings us into the idea of, of privilege, because I think a lot of times people say, when they look at privilege and we talk about white privilege, a lot of people will say, well, I didn't grow up wealthy. And, you know, my parents, I had to work hard and I've been working since I was 13 and I didn't go to a top college or I didn't go to college at all. And there's this perspective and, and I hear people say that all the time, um, you know, and, and there's this perspective of, well, I'm not privileged. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, this is the way I define privilege and I try to break it down for people who take workshops with me or that I'm coaching. So we are all privileged. And we are all marginalized, right? We have these multiple identities that we can be in either category. So for example, I am marginalized in my gender and my race, but I'm very privileged in my sexual orientation, in my religion, um, in my socioeconomic status. So when we break it down and think about how we can use these privileges and spaces, like I talk about not using it as, as a weapon, which it's been weaponized now, right? People are offend, uh, offended by it. People are um, feeling like they have to defend their uh, identities um, or people feel like 
others are making them feel badly about who they are. Um, but we can either use it as a weapon or we can use it as a tool for change. And so I recognize that socioeconomically, I am privileged. So how do I use that privilege in a way that supports people who are marginalized in that area? And so if you look at it just as one of your identities that you're privileged in, and then how do you use it to support people who are not privileged in that area? Um, I think the idea of white privilege, white privilege is a privilege that, that makes people feel uneasy. But it's just one of many identities that we, we carry, race is. Um, and then if we look at all of our identities as a whole or individually, um, we should not get offended by it, but we should think about, I am privileged in this way, so how do I use it to support other people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, another thing that uh, along those same lines with, with privilege and everything, another thing I think people, it keeps people from becoming involved um, in social justice and, and activism and everything. And, and I have this a little bit with every issue. I even have it when it comes to LGBTQ. I have it when it comes to neurodiversity and everything is we're so afraid of making a mistake with the language um, we're so afraid of people getting angry at us because we use this the wrong terminology, and and all of it's changing so fast, right? In every you know, in, in every different type yeah. of hu yeah. humanity, it, it's changing, it's ever evolving, it's ever changing, and to keep up with it is it feels really hard. So, what do you say about the fear of? Because I have that sometimes too with the conversation, like, oh my god, am I going to use the wrong phrase? Am I going to offend somebody? but I want to be part of the conversation. I want to help. I want to use my privilege, all of these things. But there's that push and pull of, of fear um, and wanting to be part of it. Yeah, uh, the fear is going to be there. Um, it, it's, it, and I think if you're doing the work, there should be a little bit of fear. There should be a little bit of feeling uncomfortable because that's how you're going to learn and grow. Um, and I think the worst thing to do is to do nothing at all. Um, and I think just like when our kids are afraid to swim or afraid to try that new sport, we give them a little bit of a push to let them know that it's okay. You're not expected to be perfect. You're not expected to get it right the first time. It's the same push that we need to give ourselves. Um, you are gonna make mistakes. And if you go into it knowing you're gonna make some mistakes, that you may offend, um, but you apologize, you learn from it, um, and then you get back on the horse and you keep 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 riding, right? So there is, and I'm the same way, right? I don't I don't have it perfectly with, let's say, my um, LGBTQ friends. I may say the wrong thing, or I may not get it right, but it's not going to keep me from trying to make sure I'm an ally. Um, and I think in allyship you do have to do a lot more listening than talking um, and you will mess up, but you apologize and you keep moving. So don't let fear keep you on the sidelines. Otherwise we stay in the same space. Um, right. So make those mistakes and um, fix them and keep moving. Right. Okay. So for allyship, because this is, you know, you're, you have a book coming out in October, I know, all about social justice parenting. Um, and it's a topic that so many of us talk about. When it comes to our own homes, I know so many of us are trying to create these environments where we raise compassionate, kind 
kids, you know, anti-racist and, um, you know, and just all around socially conscious and empathetic kids. Mm-hmm. What does that look like to you in a home? Uh, you know, it, it, as far as creating that home environment that is going to allow for that. Yeah, I think the first thing um, in, in my book, I talk about this. The first thing you have to do is get into some deep self-reflection, which mm-hmm. is the hard part, right? Yeah. This is the part that a lot of parents want to skip. They just want to parent. But if we are not really examining our own biases, our own childhood experiences, um, because there's some things in our childhood and our childhoods that, that were great, right? That we want to carry on to our parenting. But there's some things in our childhoods that maybe were not as great and that we want to intentionally um, stop the cycle or leave behind. And if we're not um, intentionally thinking about those things, reflecting on those things and making conscious choices, um, it's gonna be very difficult to raise the children that you really wanna raise. So I think it all starts with examining your own self any biases, any stereotypes that you're, you're holding yourself and being able to work through those and let those go um, and acknowledging them. And I think that's where we, we start. Um, the other thing, I have this, this acronym called the ROCKS um, for social justice parenting, which is R for re- reflection, O is for open dialogue. And that's where you have a home where you can talk about things like nothing's off the table, you start as early as your kids can listen um, and you don't uh, shut them off from knowing about things in the world. Um, you really lean into their natural curiosities um, because oftentimes kids ask questions that we feel uncomfortable with and we shut them down because we don't know how to answer those things. And we've just now taught them that race or sexual orientation or whatever that thing was, um, it's not okay to talk about. And so now we have continued the cycle of this, these taboo topics that kids are not open to talk about. So having open dialogue in your home is really important. The C is for compassion. And I always say it starts with self. So we teach our kids how to treat themselves and treat others by them watching us how we treat ourselves. I know I sometimes get like caught up in this negative stuff talk that I have to be mindful of because I don't want my kids to repeat some of the things that I may be thinking about myself. And so the compassion starts with self and then how you're treating your children and the things that you do in their daily lives and then how you guys are taking that out into the world. And then the K is kindness. So I see kindness as um, compassion and action. So what are you doing for yourself, for your family, for your community in order to show children to build these kind of lifelong habits of kindness um, where they are, you know, we do the whole thing of paying for somebody behind us in the Mm drive-through or, um, you know, we may have sandwiches that we get from the store that we pass out to um, the homeless as we're driving down the street. That came from my kid in kindergarten. They did a project on homelessness and he was like, we need to be having things in our car, you know? Uh So um, little things that really build this habit for it that it becomes normalized in your home of, of doing kindness. And then the S is social engagement. So how do we get our kids involved in social justice work, whatever that looks like for your family? I mean, I always say that parenting is activism. 
So what you do in closed doors in your in the spaces of your home, they're going to show up in the community. They're going to show up in society as your kids grow up. So the activism that you take in your own home, how you're teaching your kids, what you're pouring into them, they're going to be the adults that are carrying that forward. So knowing that what you're doing in your home is activism and um, it matters. So those are some of the things that, you know, to think about as you are raising your kids about being intentional um, with these things. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Yeah, and I, I think when we were last June, when, you know, when all of this was sort of brought to a head a little bit, and um, for instance, people would say to me, because my, my daughter is very, uh, she's a very, like very socially active um, with social justice. And we did a lot of Black Lives Matter protests. And a lot of parents said to me, well, I don't feel comfortable bringing my child to a Black Lives Matter protest. And a little bit, I think that what, what sometimes we forget is that there are lots of different lanes and lots of different forms of social justice. And uh, there are certain ways that I am not, you know, that that don't feel comfortable for me. Um, You know, I don't like being in where one thing I loved about the protest is that we were all one, but I didn't have to actually talk to anybody. And like, sometimes I'm not great at interacting and stuff. So it was sort of like this whole coming together and being part of this awesome thing. But yet I'm super socially awkward. So I didn't have to talk to too many people. But then there are some people who are really, really good at, um, you know, at social interaction and everything. And like, there are so many lanes. So what can... For the people who say, I'm not comfortable with the protests and I'm not comfortable, you know, going out and and doing all of these really, I guess, um, you know, things that are very visible. What what do you say to them? Yeah, that that's a really great question, Danielle. And and actually, I have a um, in my book that's coming out in October. I have a whole chapter on this about quiet activism versus um, visual um, activism, um, there are different ways that we show up. And some of it could be letter writing, you know? Some of it is the way we talk to our children is activism. So we have to expand our definition of what social justice and activism looks like and not be afraid of those words. Because if you are showing up in a space, whether it's your home, whether it's your friend's home, you know, even, even pushing back against, you know, a friend, one-on-one is activism. And so the more we show up, and, and again, I, I'm okay with being uncomfortable because being uncomfortable means you're doing something that scares you and you're doing it anyways. Um, and I think when you get comfortable with what you're doing, then you're not pushing yourself enough. You should always be like teetering on that balance of comfort and uncomfortability because it means that you are doing some things that, um, that, that's pushing you as an activist or as a human being. Um, and so I would say not get hung up on not wanting to go to the marches and really expand the way you see 
activism in a way that can be very quiet. I mean, you could be the person who is bringing the drinks and bringing food to people who are at the march, right? It doesn't mean that you have to be the one with the bullhorn um, telling people what to do. There are a lot of avenues, a lot of lanes that you can take, but that you're making steps to really make the world more just. And what about for younger kids, parents of younger kids who, you know, just making your house more inclusive? I know we talk about books and dolls and um, those ideas. Yeah, I think all of those are low-hanging fruit. You know, those are easy to do. Making sure that they see diversity in your home, making sure that you are talking about um, what it means to be fair, you know, um, and that fairness looks different for different people. Um we're, we, we are now starting to get a little bit past this idea of colorblindness, right? That we're all the same and we're all treated the same. We have to be honest with our children about the way the world works. Um, and that's the only way we're gonna change it. So my advice with that is to not, um, not dummy down it so much that we're not telling truths um, because it's important to tell our kids the truth, but doing it in a way that's obviously age appropriate and contextually bounded. Um, but I think living it every day where it becomes normalized for children that, hey, we stand up for this. We stand up for these people. We stand up for things that are not right. We are going to be the family that um, is involved um, when they see it every day, it becomes who they are. Um, and it becomes easy for them to have the language, to have the um, courage to do it when they're not at, in your house. Mm -hmm. So I think building on, on everyday practices um, is really important to normalize it for them. Yeah, and that might mean also um, what you brought up before, which is an uncomfortable conversation even to, to talk about that when people say, well, we can all just be friends, even if we have different thoughts about, you know, social justice and, and different political beliefs and maybe not so much political beliefs, but social beliefs and everything that we should all just get along and ad agree to disagree. Um, and that is a big topic right now of we should all just be able to believe different things about social social justice and race and, and everything like that and coexist. I can guarantee you this, Danielle, the people who are saying that are the people with the privilege. <laughs> right. There's nobody, uh, no person of color who say, who's saying, um, let's just agree to disagree on how we show up for social justice. Um, if, if we're being honest, really, our country was really built on this system that elevated some and kept others marginalized. And so we're talking about a system here. Um, I think uh, Isabel Wilkerson, I think her name, she wrote the book Cast. Mm -hmm. It is such a great book of unpacking um, the history of our country in terms of race and, and it being a caste system. So if anybody is interested in learning more and it's a really intense, book, but I, I, I listen to it on audio, uh, audio book while I'm driving in the car. Um, and it's really, she does a really great job of unpacking. But because our system is built on this idea of privilege and marginalization, um, it's, it's ingrained. 
Um, and if we're not doing the work to kind of unpack that, um, we're never going to be able to change the system. So if we're serious about raising kids who are you know, more compassionate and kind and socially engaged, we have to not be afraid of looking underneath um, the rocks really, because it's the only way that we are going to really see that things were, things were built in a way that it keeps us from, from having this idea of fairness and just in our, in our world. And it's going to take, you know, no movement was complete or successful without allies. And so it's going to take allies being active that are marginal, that are not marginalized in this way, right? Those people who are white, it's gonna take you all to really um, start to unpack that and starting to see how uh, the system was developed to where there's these um, inequalities um, and inequities in order for us to try to unpack it and move through it. Yeah, that's a, such a great book. And also there, I mean, even now, if you just go on Netflix and there are so many amazing documentaries and, um, and series and just there's so much out there now to sort of take in that um, is available that I think everybody should just, you know, even if you just go through Netflix and look at the documentaries and everything, yeah. there is so much good stuff. And it's a great way to start having the conversations in your house, right? So that yeah. you are learning along with your children, um, <clears throat> which I think is really important that we, sometimes we're afraid to have those conversations because we don't know the answers. But I think your kids not seeing you have the answers is really something positive for them because they realize that then they grew up, they don't have all the answers. Um, and learning together and working through it together, it only makes your family bond closer um, and it's a great way to start open up those conversations as you, as you unpack and learn together. Right. Okay. So what are you hoping happens next? Like what's, what are you, how, I mean, have we, have we come far at all? Like, are we making progress and what's the next step and how do we all take part in that next step? I think we've come, we've come some way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think, um, you know, people are now more aware or they're having to admit that they're aware that there is um, inequities and unjust treatment of people of color, um, particularly black people. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the videos have made it so that you can't turn away. Um, and I think it, it's important that we stay connected in that way um, and not see, I'm, you know, I always remind my followers, this is not a trend, right? It's not something that we had all those black squares on our Instagram accounts and our Facebook accounts that this is daily work. Um, and if you don't practice it daily in your house, um, then your kids will learn from that. Um, and I also think it's important that if you're not practicing it daily in your home, your children are learning and picking up things from other people. And um, we want to be the creators of our children's knowledge. And um, we have to keep doing the work every day. And even when you're tired, right? Social justice work is not work that you can put down when you get tired or uncomfortable. It's work that you have to work through and it has to be continuous. 
So if we are gonna to continue to make inroads as a country, we have to make sure that the burden of social justice work is not on the people who are marginalized in those mm -hmm. spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell everybody where they can find you. And I know you have a pre-order on your book now and everything. Um, your account is fantastic and I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, most action is on, on Instagram, which is uh, at social justice parenting. Um, and then I also have my consulting work and coaching work uh, and workshops and things like that on my website. And it's also socialjusticeparenting.com. So um, any, all things social justice parenting, you can find me. Your coaching and everything, I'm so interested, like what are most of the parents that you're working with, are you working mostly with parents who like you are, are having to teach their kids um, about how to interact in the world and, and be safe? Or are you more, are you working with parents about privilege and how to help and, or is it a mixture of everything? It's a mixture of everything. Right now I'm doing a, um, I'm doing a six month workshop with a group of uh, 20 families who want to do more anti-racist uh, parenting with their children. Um, and so, that. yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna start doing that twice a year cause it's six months um, where we do, I do vid I have videos and workshops, worksheets for them to go through um, once a month. And then two weeks later in that same month, we do a live Q and A where we unpack their questions and we talk about things and we do that for six months. We have six different modules that they work through so that's something that uh, is working really well with parents. I'm getting great feedback on that. Um, and then I do um, sometimes uh, coaching around, like say they are mostly, it's mostly white moms who are mothers of biracial children. Um, I do small group sessions around um, what that looks like to raise black children in the world when you don't know what that's like yourself. And then I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, parenting coaching um, and that varies. It could be around certain issues. It could be around anti-racist work or social justice parenting. Is so, that virtual? Uh, like you can live anywhere and be part of yes, that? Yes. Yes. Oh, all virtual. That's amazing. It's all virtual. Isn't that so yes. great? It's the greatest. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, I hope everyone will, will check it out. And you said that, that this one already started, so there will be another one. Yeah. We're going to start another one probably in July. Okay. Okay, yes. great. Well, so you will you keep us updated on that and I'll I share will. on our Instagram and everything because that sounds like a fantastic way to get involved when we don't know how to get involved. Yes, yes. Awesome. And then well, it's you. very action based. So I kind of put your feet to the fire and say by next month, you need to be doing these things. And then that's when we come back for the Q&A session to unpack what they did, what went well, what didn't, what can we adjust. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay. So th thank you so much. And I hope you'll, you'll come back and we will share, you know, everyone, I will share your Instagram all over and I hope everyone follows you and, um, and you'll have to come back when your book comes out so we can talk about it. Cause I'm anxious to read it. I would love so, that. Thank you so much. And thank you for being patient with me and my crazy life. And yeah, um, no, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks so Danielle. much. Tracy. Bye. Bye.
Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com